do it compartmentalize we plan for success and try to pass the pain right by but it just doesn't work that way god has a different plan he works in ways we'd never see beyond the scope of man when the journey takes a detour unexpectedly and i try to accept and understand what it all means when i'm pressed to show the world what i really believe i will trust you lord when my heart begins to faint because i see a life so frayed and my soul cries out oh lord how long can i keep this at bay in the fiercest part of battle when my feet don't want to stay i will trust you lord i will trust you lord with my life i may not understand it and even question why what good could ever come from this has even crossed my mind but god's teaching me to trust him more as he works his will in me i rest securely in his care and surrender sure is sweet when the journey takes a detour unexpectedly and i try to accept and understand what it all means when i'm pressed to show the world what i really believe i will trust you lord when my heart begins to faint because i see a life so frayed and my soul cries out oh lord how long can i keep this at bay in the fiercest part of battle when my feet don't want to stay i will trust you lord i will trust you lord with my life Church. I'll say it again. Happy Sabbath, Church. <laughs> and thank you, Paula, for that message and song. It's true, you know, this walk that we walk, we walk by faith, not by sight. You know, when we don't see answers, how do we still walk? We keep walking by faith. Um, today, friends, I'm excited to get into the Word. Are you? Yeah? The message this morning is entitled, Watching and Waiting. Maybe you want to turn to the neighbor next to you and say, hey, what are you looking for? <laughs> what are you waiting for? Huh? Uh, today, we recognize that prophecy, as has been mentioned already, has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled right before our eyes. What are we watching for? What are we waiting for? Maybe the better question is, what is God waiting for? Huh? Um, today, 
Before we get into our study, I want to just offer a word of prayer as we do. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, again, we come to you recognizing uh, our deep need of a Savior. And so we're praying, not just because it's the thing to do right before a sermon, but because we desperately need you. Lord, we're just branches, and apart from the vine, we can do nothing. So please restore a vital connection, a living connection with Jesus today. We're praying, God, that you would open up our hearts as we open up your word. Um, Lord, you know the weakness of my own uh, intellect and my own physical capabilities. Uh, just, you know that some of us have, have had weeks that have just wearied us and tired us out. And so we're asking that as we come to Jesus, we would find rest. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege. Now, as we open up the word, please remove all distraction that we can just simply hear you speaking to us. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen. 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 All right, we're going to go to the Gospel of Matthew. We were there last week. We'll go there again. Matthew chapter 25. It's a familiar parable. Maybe you've read it before. Maybe you've heard it told before. It's the parable of the ten, who can tell me what? Ten virgins, right? Ten virgins, they are awaiting the arrival of a groom and apparently, the, the, the context of that time, the groom came, and once the groom came, it's not like they were waiting for the bride to come down the aisle, but they were waiting for a groom to arrive, and then the party would begin. These ten virgins, they're known as the wise and foolish virgins. When you're in Matthew 25, go ahead and say, Amen. Okay. Now, maybe, you know, maybe you've studied this parable through and through, and I'm glad if you have. Um, there are lots of Lots of ways that we can understand this parable. In fact, people have seen this parable not just as, you know, a nice illustration, but some have actually looked at this parable as almost a prophecy of sorts with different uh, historical fulfillments in this parable. Today, as we look at the parable of the ten virgins, we're not looking at, at it from the angle of historical fulfillment. We're just kind of taking a glance at its spiritual significance and how it instructs us to keep watching and to keep waiting. Does that sound like a good idea today? Yeah? All right. So we're there. Matthew 25, if you're there, say amen. Okay. Matthew 25. Now, before we get into this parable, I want us to realize maybe you have a red letter Bible like mine. Does anybody have a red letter Bible like mine? Yeah? So you'll notice that there are red letters all over Matthew 25, right? These are Jesus' words. He's telling these stories. But you'll also notice that there are red letters all over Matthew 24. Okay? Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 go hand in hand. This is the same conversation Jesus is having with his disciples. We were reading about it last week, right? The disciples, they, they told Jesus, hey, look at this temple that you just said is going to be, you know, thrown down. Uh, the disciples are kind of wondering, what in the world? They ask Jesus in chapter 24, verse 3, they ask him two questions, maybe three, some would say. Chapter 24, verse 3, just get a little bit of context. It says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the what? Sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And as Jesus begins to unfold these things to look forward to, he is not necessarily giving them time markers as, as so much as he is giving Jesus markers, Right? All of these signs, these pestilences, these wars, these deceptions, nations rising up against nation, etc., all of these things have been since the beginning of time 
or since the beginning of sin, we should say. But as we approach the second coming, these signs will grow with increasing intensity and frequency, just like labor pains, according to verse 8. It says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Maybe your translation says labor pains. And so Jesus is saying, look, every time you see these signs, take note that these are all indicators that this world is broken, and unless Jesus comes again, it'll destroy itself. These are all signs pointing to the fact that Jesus has a work of salvation that has yet to be fully realized. So Jesus is saying, look, pay attention to these signs, but pay attention ultimately to the fact that salvation is coming. Salvation is coming, or maybe we should say, the Savior is coming. And so in the midst of all these signs, the disciples aren't getting their specifics. They're not getting their, okay, in the year, etc., in the year 70, in the year 148, whatever, etc., all these things, they're not getting real specific, but they are getting the sense that you can tell when Jesus is coming near. In fact, when you get to verse 42, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 24, verse 36, if you're there, say amen. Okay, just getting a little bit of context again. It says, but of that day and hour, how many people know? No one knows. No one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, if you remember the disciples' questions, they're asking, how can we know when it's coming near, right? When is, when is the end of the age? What are the signs? Jesus' answer, you'll never know. <laughs> kind of holds it out in front of them saying, look, you won't know the specific dairy hour, but you'll know when it's coming near. And so as a result of this, verse 42, my, the first two words in my Bible, it says, watch therefore. You see that? Watch therefore. In other words, because of this, because you don't know when Jesus is coming, what are we commanded to do? To watch. Simple instruction. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Verse 43, But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would have come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Verse 44, Therefore you also, what's the instruction? Be ready. Notice it doesn't say get ready. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The conclusion of Matthew 24 is simply this, that no one will know exactly when Jesus is coming, but you will know when it's near. So watch and be ready. Do you follow that today, yes or no? In other words, watch and wait. Watch and wait. question that would come to mind then is, how do we watch? And how do we be ready? Not just get in the process of becoming ready, but how do we be ready right now? As Jesus continues his conversation with the disciples from verse 45 and onward, he is actually explaining to them how to be ready. Do you follow that today? Yes or no? Yeah? So everything that Jesus is going to explain from here on out, including the parables of Matthew 25, they're all to illustrate how to watch and be ready. So in verse 45 of Matthew 24, very interesting that Jesus begins with this parable. Maybe it's not as well known as, say, the parable of the ten virgins or the parable of the talents or the sheep and the goats. But notice, verse 45, it says, Who then is a faithful and wise, what? Servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season. Okay, so here's a relationship. There's a master who puts a servant in charge of his household 
And according to verse 45, what are the two characteristics of this servant? He is faithful and, what was it? Wise. Wise. Put that word on a shelf in your mind. Wise. Okay? Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Hey, they're, they're doing what they started with, and they're doing it all the way till he comes. But in verse 47, assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is what? Delaying, lingering, stretching out the time. My master is delaying his coming, verse 49, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not, what, looking or maybe expecting him at an hour that he is not aware of. Verse 51 is a little bit sobering here, let's be honest. And will cut him in two and appoint him, excuse me, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, is what the New King James says. Hypocrites, actors. People who are pretending one thing when in reality are something quite different. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Before we get into the parable of the ten virgins, the wise and the foolish virgins, Jesus tells a parable that distinguishes a wise servant and an evil servant. The difference between the wise servant and the evil is not just in their actions, what they do and don't do, but also in their attitude. Did you notice it? The evil servant says in his heart, he says, my master is delayed. Very interesting that he sees the delay of his master as an opportunity to be his own master. You see, the wise servant sees the delay as an opportunity to continue diligence. But the evil servant sees the delay as an opportunity for indulgence. Very distinct how they respond to the delay. And at the end in verse 51, because of the evil servant's attitude, indulgence uh, in response to delay, he's actually lumped together with what Jesus calls with the hypocrites. Did you notice that? With the hypocrites. In other words, he's just acting. He's just playing the part. He's just a stage player. The biblical use of that word is, is very literally a pretender. A pretender. And so here Jesus kind of sets these two categories and it's all in response to what if what happens when we're waiting for the second coming but Jesus doesn't come as soon as we want him to. Does anybody know that feeling? Yeah? Maybe it's not even just with the, the cosmic reality of Jesus' second coming. Maybe it's when is God going to do something about this situation? <laughs> when is God going to answer this prayer or turn that circumstance around? The master is delaying. I'll just do this. I'll be my own master. Wow. How do we respond in the time of delay? How do we respond when it seems like God is lingering? How do we respond when we know we should watch and wait? <laughs> but how do we respond when it's taken a little bit longer than we wanted? Jesus is going to explain that in the next parable, next, actually the next three parables, and we'll look at this over the next few weeks 
Today we'll look at the parable of the ten virgins. Next week we'll look at the parable of, of the talents. And uh, here, let's, let's go ahead and begin. Matthew chapter 25, just setting that stage. How do we respond in the time of delay? From this context, we see that going into Matthew 25, there are two major concerns on Jesus' heart. Two major concerns. First, how to watch and be ready. Second, how to watch in a way that is not fake. You follow me today? Yeah? These are the two concerns that Jesus has when he gets into those parables of the ten virgins, his talents, and the sheep and the goats. He's wanting us to understand how to watch and be ready and how to watch in a way that is not fake. That's what I want to do. Right? I want to watch in a genuine way. I want to be ready, not just get ready. I want to be ready. So, how do we do it? Matthew 25, the parable goes like this. We'll just read through. We'll read through verses 1 through 13 just to kind of get a bird's eye view, and then we'll pick it apart. Here we go. Verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise, five were foolish. Verse 3. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Verse 5. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Adam, Adam. Okay. Wait, wait, that's not in my Bible. Hold on. Verse 6. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. While they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Man, Jesus had a way with stories. (laughs) What is going on here? Jesus as he's launching into this story, he begins with one simple word. He says, then. Right? You see it there, Matthew 25, verse 1? Then. In other words, he's making a relationship. He's, he's conceptually linking the parable that he's getting into with the parable that he just told. In that time of delay, when it seems like the master is not coming, then this is what our response to the kingdom of heaven will be like. This is what it will be like when, when God is trying to reign over people's hearts. It says, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to do what? To meet the bridegroom. Meet the bridegroom. It's a wedding scenario. In the ancient Near East, in that Palestinian uh, tradition, the the, the way of the area of Palestine, there were certain wedding customs that, that are a little bit far removed from the way we do things here today. Um, there, there were certain ways in which they proposed, okay? They, they called it not just engagement, they called it betrothal. How many of you have heard that word, yeah? Okay. And so, basically, in that area, a young Jewish man who was of age, uh, when he was wanting to seek a, a bride, you know, he would, 
he would basically kind of get his parents' approval. They, he'd kind of set up this arrangement. He said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. He set his heart on it. He would go find and scout a woman of his liking. And when he found that lady, he met the family, paid a down payment for the woman. <laughs> uh, back in the day, they recognized, hey, look, this, this young lady, she's of value to this household. So if I'm going to whisk her away with my woo and charm, I need to give some sort of recompense, right? And so, so the man gives a down payment after winning the heart of this young woman. Talks to the family, gives a down payment. And at that point, they were betrothed. Betrothed. It was such a serious arrangement that they were considered husband and wife, except for the fact that they didn't live together. So they were betrothed. They had this serious commitment, and it was only a matter of time until the wedding. Now, how much time was that? Some, the Jewish encyclopedia says or typically it was 12 months. That's a long engagement, right? 12-month time during which the bride and the groom or the fiancé, you know, they did not see each other. Actually, what would happen is that groom would go back to his father's homeland. And for 12 months, they wouldn't see each other. Why? Because during those 12 months of separation, the groom was actually building a household. That's why it took 12 months. <laughs> Unless you've got some amazing skill or whatever, then you, once those preparations are made, the groom would go back and receive his bride to himself, that where he is, there she may be also. Does that sound familiar to anybody? John 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus is telling them, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. The groom is talking to his bride. Say, hey, if I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That where I am, there you may be also. Ah, when we're talking about the second coming, we're not just talking about doom and gloom, the end of the world. We're talking about a groom who cannot wait to have his bride with him. <laughs> I remember the days between December 9, 2014 and August 21, excuse me, December 9, 2004, whoa, a decade ago, between December 9, 2004 and August 21, 2005, I was counting down the days, counting down the days. In the same way, Jesus cannot wait to come back. Amen. But according to 2 Peter chapter 3, he is not slack concerning his promise and that he is simply waiting because he longs for all to come to repentance. Our, our, our groom is a gracious groom. And so here, what, what, it, when Jesus is using this illustration, he's actually using this as a very apt illustration for awaiting the arrival of the groom. Apparently the tradition was that when the groom was ready and wanted to receive his bride, there would be bridesmaids who would light the way. Because sometimes you didn't know when that groom was coming, so there would be people pronouncing along the way, hey, come out to meet the bridegroom. Sometimes it would be delayed. And oftentimes, those bridesmaids, they'd fall asleep, waiting on the post, naturally, right? But when they came, they would be the first to, to welcome the groom. They would be the first to facilitate the reunion of the bride and the groom. Just like how John the Baptist saw himself. In John chapter 3, verse 29, he says, hey, the friend of the bridegroom, he rejoices when the groom comes. All right? And he says, I must decrease, he must increase. In other words, these bridesmaids, these virgins, are people who long to see 
the reunion of God and his people. Okay? So here we are. They're coming out to meet the bridegroom. And in verse 2, the Bible says, Now five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Remember that word I asked you to hang on a hook in your mind? Wise, right? Five of them are, he's linking this directly to that previous parable. There were some that were diligent, and that there were some that were indulgent. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So the difference between the wise and the foolish. What was the difference? The oil, the oil. All of those virgins, all of those bridesmaids, they all wanted to meet the bridegroom. Amen? They all took lamps. Amen? Right? Maybe they even had cases for their lamps. Maybe they went shopping for lamps, got their, the perfect translation for their lamps, right? The Bible says, Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. These are all people of the book. These are all people who long to see Jesus return. But there's one difference. The one difference is one group takes oil for the delay. The other group, they, they recognize that delay might be a possibility, but they make no preparation for it. Okay? So there in verse 4, the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And in verse 5, the Bible says, But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. See here, the problem is not that they slept. Because they all slept, right? The wise included. The problem is not that they became drowsy. But the problem is that some were not ready or prepared for the delay. Let's just make that clear. So what's going on here? In verse 7, excuse me, verse 6, it says, And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, Go out to meet him. This was their original intent. This was their original commitment. Let's go see the groom. Let's facilitate that reunion between the groom and his people. Then all those virgins arose. All of them, all ten of them, the, the five wise, the five foolish. All of the virgins arose, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your what? Oil. For our lamps are going out. Ah, oh, this is heartbreaking right here. It's possible, friends, to be awaiting for the return of Jesus. To be so geared up, ramped up about reuniting God and his people. It is possible to cherish our lamps in such a way that we have no oil. And because of that, our lamps go out. Our love for Jesus, our, understand, our knowledge of him personally, intimately, goes out. We can have all the Bible bullets we want. But without the Holy Spirit, it means nothing. Then all those virgins arose, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. I mean, it would be shooting them in the foot, so to speak, right? Because if there wasn't enough oil for any of them, then that groom would have no lit pathway to receiving his bride. No, lest there should be enough, excuse me, excuse me, there should not be enough for us and you, 
but go rather to those who sell, and what are the last three words there? And buy for yourselves. So key, right there, buy for yourselves. Do you realize today, friends, that there are some things that even your closest friends or family cannot do for you on your behalf? You know, if you have a really good friend, you, you, you can have a, a good friend on a sick day say, hey, I'll show up to work for you. Some people could do that, <laughs> depending on your work, depending on your setting. If you miss class for some reason, you can say, hey, can you go to class for me and take notes for me? You know, those kinds of things. But there are certain things that others cannot do for you. We can go to potluck, we can both be hungry, but I cannot say, hey, eat my plate for me so that I can be satisfied. Please, be satisfied on my behalf. No, no, I'm going to do that myself, right? (laughs) There are certain things that others cannot do for you, including experiencing the presence of Jesus through his word and his Holy Spirit. In other words, a knowledge of Christ that is not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus is only something that can be experienced firsthand. Do you follow that today? There's a difference between firsthand faith and a secondhand faith. No one else can experience Jesus for you. And so the appeal from the wise to the foolish is buy for yourselves. According to the next verse, verse 10, The Bible says, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. I glossed over something very quickly there. But it says, and those who were ready. Did you catch that? Those who were ready went in. So here at this point, the the parable actually drops the categorization of wise and foolish. Now the categorization is ready or not. You see it? They're either ready or they're not. It's not that, see the foolish, they were actually going to buy for themselves. They were going to get ready. So the distinction is those who were ready and those who were getting ready. The wise, remember the wise servant in the previous parable, uh, where is it, 24, chapter 24, verse 45. It says, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. In other words, their diligence at the very onset of their relationship with Christ, their diligence is consistent. And it's persistent till the end. Their diligence at the time of the master's arrival was consistent with their diligence at the time of the master's departure. And so this is what it is to be ready. This is what it is to be ready. Not just to be getting ready, but to be ready. In verse 11 and 12 of Matthew 25, the rest of the story, it says, Afterward, the other virgins, in other words, the ones who were getting ready, the ones who weren't ready at the time of the arrival, they came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Does that phrase sound at all familiar to other portions of Scripture? Have you heard that before? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually earlier in Matthew. Uh, let's take a look. Keep a bookmark here. Keep a bookmark here in Matthew 25. And go to Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7. 
Matthew chapter 7, I think it's beginning in verse 21. When you found it, go ahead and say, I found it. All right. Still working on it. Here we go. <laughs> Same book. Okay, Matthew 7, in verse 21. And remember, this is now in a different sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, in the previous verses, verses 15 through 20, had just talked about false prophets. In other words, pretenders. Okay. And in verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, what? Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. In other words, it's not just profession, but it's actual obedience. It's the living out of God's will in their lives. But notice in verse 22, many will say to me in that day, there it is again, Lord, Lord. Okay, there's that profession. But notice, it says, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Whoa, that's action too. But apparently it's not the will of the Father that is driving them. So much so that in verse 23, the declaration is made, and then I will declare to them, I never, what? Let that sink in. <laughs> They're doing all of these things in the name of Jesus, for Jesus, yet they never knew Jesus. It is possible to do things that look like it's for God, but in reality never actually know God. So back to the parable in Matthew 25. When these uh, unready virgins, these unready bridesmaids are knocking on the door, they're saying the very same thing. Lord, Lord, open to us. Didn't we come out to meet you? Didn't we take our lamps? Didn't we make a profession of your name? Didn't we do all these things? It's a profession of relationship. But the same thing is told to them. Matthew 25, verse 12. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not what? There it is again. I do not know you. They may profess a relationship with Jesus, but the substance of that relationship is missing. At some level of this group of bridesmaids, there is an acting going on. At some level in their lives, they make a profession but are actually hypocrites, as the previous parable indicated. In Matthew 7, the hypocrisy there, the, un, you know, the lack of correspondence, in Matthew 7, it's that they haven't been doing the will of the Father. You know, they've been doing all these kinds of things, but they haven't been doing the will, which was actually knowing Jesus. And here, doing the will would have been actually taking oil with them. So could it be that doing the will of the Father, taking oil with you, is simply knowing Jesus? Yeah. Knowing Jesus, not in a second-hand sort of way, but knowing Jesus in a first-hand sort of way. Remember, as Jesus is launching into this parable of the ten virgins, he is just set up, okay, we need to watch and be ready, not just get ready. We need to watch and be ready and do it in such a way that it's not fake. How do you do that? 
Will you know Jesus? Is that too simple? Maybe it's too simple that we miss it. I think sometimes we try to complicate how we can watch and wait. And in the midst, we do all this, we say all that, but we miss knowing Jesus. So what does readiness mean? What does readiness mean? You know, the last verse of the parable in verse 13, Matthew 25, verse 13, watch therefore. There's that appeal again, watch. What does it mean to watch according to this parable? What does it mean to watch and wait for Jesus' return? May I suggest, first, be wise and not foolish. <laughs> right? Be wise and not foolish in your commitment to meet the bridegroom. Well, what does that mean? Prepare for delay. Maybe it's not going to happen when you want it or how you want it. So prepare for delay. Well, in this parable, what did preparing for the delay mean? Taking oil. Taking oil. And at some level, realize, just like the, the wise servant in the previous parable, realize that the delay is an opportunity to be diligent about taking oil. It's not just a time to excuse yourself in saying, I've got time to get oil later. Do you see the difference there? In the previous parable, uh, their response to the delay, the faithful and wise servant was saying, look, this delay means I can continue to be diligent. The, the evil servant, however, he took the delay as an opportunity to indulge his own masterhood, you know, being his own ruler. And so what does it mean to prepare for the delay? Take oil with you. So what diligence? How can we be diligent? First and foremost, seek a firsthand experience of God. Become personally acquainted with God. You want to know how to watch and wait? Become personally acquainted with your Savior. Very simple. The second part to that is become personally acquainted with your Savior now. Seek that personal acquaintance now, not later. How do we do it? Obtain oil for yourself and obtain oil now. That's the first part. Obtain oil for yourself and obtain oil now. What, what is that oil a symbol of? It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. You, you've got to cross, maybe you're taking notes, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. In Zechariah chapter 4, Zechariah sees this vision of a candlestick and it's giving light, but it's, a, it's different than the candlestick that he sees in the temple. The candlestick in the temple, it's always supplied by oil. Priests are giving oil to this candlestick so that it, it gives light. But the candlestick that, that Zacharias sees, he actually sees that it's not humans that are giving oil to this. It's God through these two olive trees that is supplying continuous supply of oil. And Zechariah is told that what these are is it's not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The only way we could possibly give light, the only way we can light the way for the groom to be reunited with his people is not by might, nor by power, but by the oil of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A continuous supply from God, not from any human person. And so, obtain oil for yourself and obtain oil now. You know, sometimes we talk about the latter rain outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That someday, you know, the Holy Spirit will be poured out in such special measure. And the Bible does point to that. The Bible does point to a latter rain experience. 
But I tell you what, friends, if we're not experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit today, we're not going to be able to experience the Holy Spirit in the latter day. In other words, we're opening up our hearts wide open, obtaining oil now, not just saying, okay, at some special season, that's when I'll ask for the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. The point is, seek to be filled, and seek to be filled now. Seek to be filled now. What else? How, can, how else can we be diligent? Second thing, know God. Know God for yourself and know Him now. Maybe you're looking for a practical way. How can I go, get to know Him better? Uh, you know what? There are these things that we've been, that, that we pass out every quarter. They're called Sabbath school quarterlies. Anybody ever heard of those? Yeah. <laughs> They're amazing tools for being able to dig into the Bible. There are these Sabbath school classes. There are small groups that meet during the week. There are ways in which that you can actually seek to know God. But you know what? You don't need a tool or a group to know God. You can actually spend time alone with God. <laughs> Open up your Bible. Find a solitary place to pray and seek His face. So know God. Maybe you don't even know exactly what to do in those moments. I tell you what. April 3 to 4, there is a discipleship seminar. Have you heard about that yet? Okay, there is a discipleship seminar. First weekend of April, April 3 to 4. It'll be hosted right here at Parkwood. The discipleship coordinator from the Central California Conference will be able to be here with us, just giving us practical tools of how to grow in our discipleship journey. If you haven't marked your calendar, go ahead and mark it now. Mark it now and invite a friend. And invite a friend. I hope this is okay. We're just getting really practical right now. Is that okay? Yeah? <laughs> So, seek the oil for yourself and seek it now. Know God for yourself and know Him now. Third thing, and this is pulling from Matthew 7, because I don't want to be saying, Lord, Lord, right? And have Him say, I don't know you. I want to be someone who actually does the will of God. So, here's where the rubber meets the road in order for us not just to be professors of a relationship, but actually livers of a relationship, we need to actually be doing the will of God for ourselves and to be doing it now. Do you see how critical this is? To say that, oh yeah, that might be the will of God, but it's not the will of God for me yet. <laughs> to say that is to set yourself up for getting oil later. That's a little sobering, yeah. Some of us have particular experiences in our lives where we know what we're supposed to do, but we've, we're looking kind of like, what was that guy's name? Um, king, it wasn't King Agrippa. I think it was King Felix. Paul was preaching to this king, and he, he, he's convicted. The king is actually convicted about what Paul is saying, and the king says, you know what, Paul? Come to me at a more convenient time. The convenient time never came. And here's the point. God has instructed you on certain things in your life. God has instructed your household on certain things in your life. And you're waiting for a special season when it's more convenient. Friends, if you know the will of God, do it now. <laughs> do it now. And do it for yourself. You know the other thing about that. It's, it's a first-hand experience. It's not someone else saying this is God's will for you. No, no, no. It's you obtaining that discernment and saying this is a conviction from God. I'm following the way of his word, and that's how I'm going to live it. Now. Now. So, obtain the oil for yourself and obtain it now. Know God for yourself and know him now. Do the will of God for yourself and do it now.
Friends, today, I hope it's clear that Jesus is coming. Amen. (laughs) And though it might seem as though he is delaying, it's not for his fault. It's not that he is to blame, that he is sitting on his hands. No, but he is seeking to be merciful to you and I. So if we haven't obtained oil for yourself, you better be grateful. (laughs) Better be grateful that he hasn't come just yet. But today is the day. Say, yes, Lord, I want to know you now. I want to seek you now. I want to do your will now. How many of you want to follow him now? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the faithful God who is coming for your bride. And Lord, we long to be a people who help facilitate that reunion between you and your church. God, forgive us for seeing this delay as an excuse for doubt or indulgence or for simple denial. God, may we see this delay as a window of mercy. Mercy toward ourselves that we would know you, watch for you, be ready for you. A window of mercy for others that we would enable others to know you and watch you and wait for you. Oh God, please make us a people who are wise today. Make us a people who are filled today. Make us a people who are doing your will today. This is our prayer in Jesus' saving name. Let the family say, amen. 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 God bless you, friends.